Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for each one that is here. And Lord, we ask that you would take this time and use it to encourage us and strengthen us in our service for you. Give us an understanding of your word tonight, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They went into the land of Israel. And um, it was about uh, 400 years, 430 years or so from the time they went into the land of Israel till Solomon built the temple. Then Solomon built the temple and roughly 300 or so years later, just a little less than that, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came and destroyed the city of Jerusalem. Israel was carried out away out of their land 70 years. They lived in captivity. Then they came back and they rebuilt the temple. Uh, about a hundred and, uh, or so years after that, we have Nehemiah and Ezra coming back for the rebuilding of the city walls and the reestablishment of the worship of Israel. And now, we go down in time uh, another hundred years or so, and we get to Malachi. Now, if you've been here for our Sunday school, uh, how many of you remember Brother Jason's tooth illustration? Uh, that when the rottenness gets in and you clean it out and you fill it, and then it gets rotten again, the hole's bigger. And it just keeps getting worse in Israel went through this cycle of rebellion against God. Then they would repent and God would bring them back and bless them. Finally, he said, I'm not going to bring you back anymore. I'm going to give the land a rest for 70 years. Then he brought them back and and we have the rebuilding of the temple. And when we get down to Ezra and Nehemiah, their stories are mostly about all of the wicked things that the children of Israel were doing in rebellion against God, even after he brought them back to his land. Now we get down to the last prophet. And his words aren't very encouraging either. And he, yet God is proclaiming, as he has through all the scripture, his love for his people. You know, God does not love us because we are lovable. He does not love us because we are so desirable. He, he loves us because He is God, and God is love. Uh, got a haircut this week, was talking to the barber a little bit, and the new barber's there, and... and uh, of course, he's Christian, he's not Muslim, he's not Buddhist, he's not, but uh, was able to give him a little bit of witness. I use the word salvation. What, what is that? And, uh, of course, he'd been in church all his life and did not know that, well, salvation is the fact that God finishes the work of saving us. That there's nothing left for me to do. Most religion is trying to do something to please God. But we can see even in the book of Malachi that God is saying, Listen, Israel, 
in spite of all the things that I'm going to say, and, and this does start out with that first phrase, the burden of the word of the Lord. The burden. Now, how many of you like burdens? Okay, good answer. Uh, a burden is something heavy. It's something that we have to carry. It's not an option. And here, Malachi starts out by saying, listen, this is not going to be a nice message. He said, God has given me these words, and they are not a burden to me, but they're going to be to you. Uh, it is going to require some effort here. The, the uh, implication here, the ideal behind these words is, Israel, again, you have moved away from the Lord, and it is going to take serious effort it is going to take hard work. It is going to be like going out and, and, and digging in the fields and laboring with your hands. It is going to be heavy labor for you to get back to where God wants you to be. You know what? It's easy, or at least it seems that way, to move away from the Lord, isn't it? Hello? Anybody ever experienced that? I mean, it's easy just to stop reading your Bible. It's easy to stop coming to church. It's easy to stop doing the things that you know you ought to do. And once you stop, how hard is it to get started again? That's what Malachi is saying here. The burden of the word of the Lord... This burden is being brought by Malachi. Malachi says, I'm carrying this load, but this isn't my burden. Because Malachi was walking with the Lord. He says, I'm dumping it at your feet. And, you know, God gives us burdens. Uh, I wish we could take the whole night just right here, but I want us to move a little quicker than than just one phrase tonight. But what did he tell Paul? Paul said, I had a thorn in the flesh, and I prayed three times for God to remove this thing from me, and God said what? No. He said, my grace is sufficient for thee. He said, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Do you know that sometimes the Lord makes things difficult for us, heavy to bear, uh, 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 frustrating, we might say, because He wants to occupy enough time and energy that you will get worn out enough that you could actually pay attention to God instead of everything else. And Malachi is coming and he said, I've, I've got a burden here. This is not uh, just light preaching. Uh, this is given by God and you have got to get it. And I, we've, I've often said this through the years. I don't care what the problem is. I don't care what the issue is. The answer 
is a better understanding of who God is. That's what the answer is. And God puts these burdens, these difficulties in our life so that we can understand a little bit more about God. Now, God is going to say something that just sounds almost ludicrous here. He's, he just got done saying the burden of the word of the Lord. It's from it's by Malachi to you, Israel. This is going to be something that you're not going to like. Something's going to weigh you down. Uh, this is not optional. In verse 2, what's the first phrase? I have loved you. I have loved you. Now, sometimes couples, they'll get a little bit sideways about something and one will go, but I love you. That's not what they mean. They're they're a little frustrated with each other. That's not what God's doing here. God is proclaiming His holy, pure, unconditional love for the people of Israel. Now, this is what makes the God of the Bible different than the God of every other religion. If you... I mean, even ones that call themselves Christians. I remember... Uh, reading in commentaries and actually talking to some uh, people who believe that you could be saved and you could lose your salvation once you got it. And and uh, one of them, uh, I remember reading it in a book, was uh, quoted as saying, how in the world do you keep people serving God if they are not afraid they're going to lose their salvation? Now, that's a pretty telling statement about the God that they serve, is it not? You see, the God of the Bible does not want fear to be a motivation. The fear of the Lord ought to be our natural response. But that's not why we do what we do. I've often used the example of an electrician. If an electrician ever loses his fear of electricity, he probably is not going to be a good electrician, and he may not even be very long. Uh, because electricity is very powerful, and it can do Terrible things. If you've ever been around, I remember talking to one man. He was around uh, very high-powered panels uh, in an industrial setting. And just the fact that he was within inches uh, of this exposed wiring, he was burned by the electricity that was just in the wires. He wasn't shocked. But just because he was he was dealing with such high voltage and, and high amperages and and he said I wasn't careful and, and he said just being close to it burned me and I'm going I never want to work on anything like that that just sounds a little scary to me and I remember several years ago we were doing some work here in the basement we had a licensed electrician of course and he was 
checking on some things, and I noticed that he was really nervous doing this one job. And I was going, when, when it was all over, I said, why, why were you so nervous? He said, that's dangerous stuff. Don't ever do this. And gave me some rules and things. But that's not why an electrician does what he does. That's how he responds to electricity. He does what he does so the lights come on and the machinery operates God does what he does is because he is love. But when we meet him, when we come face to face, when we get close enough to understand who he is, we ought to fear him. You know, that's one of the problems that we have today is we do not fear the Lord. We're so busy making him our homie or our uh, best friend or... The old man in the rocking chair or, or, you know, you know him up there. We're, we're just like this. Somebody told me one time passing out tracks. I wanted to go, I doubt that very, very much. Because if you knew who you were talking about, you wouldn't be talking like that. But God says, listen, I have loved you. Now he's going to give an example. God says, I'm going to show you. I'm going to demonstrate, I'm going to illustrate my love for you. You see, Jacob is the father of the nation of Israel. God changed his name from Jacob to Israel. Jacob had a brother. Most of us remember him as Esau. And uh, they were both the sons. They were twins, in fact. Esau was the elder, the firstborn of the twins. That was an important thing that entitled him to the birthright. And here God says in these next few verses, He says, I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? God says, you don't even understand what I mean when I say I have loved you. You have no comprehension of the words. I mean, you know what the words mean, but you don't understand what I'm saying. He said, now let me illustrate this. He says, was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Whereas Edom saith, we are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places, thus saith the Lord of hosts. They shall not build, but I will throw down. And they shall call them the border of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. And your eyes shall see. And ye shall say, the Lord will be magnified from the border of Israel. God says, I'm putting a difference here between Esau and his descendants and Israel or Jacob and his descendants. Now, We just went through the history because I knew we were coming to this point. Israel, the the people of Israel, the Jews had been removed from Jerusalem. The city had been destroyed. The temple was laid waste. Every good house, the walls were uh, beat down. Now the city of Jerusalem was rebuilt. And these people were living there for uh, well over 200 years at this point that Malachi shows up. 
And yet, at the same time, things had happened in Edom as well. Now, if you'll remember, God pronounced judgment against Edom because they cut off the Jewish people as they tried to escape Babylon and turn them over to Nebuchadnezzar. And God says, listen, I'm going to judge you uh, because you did not, you were not kind to your brother Jacob and, and God's judgment had come. They were moved out of the land. And Edom said, if Israel can rebuild, if the Jews can rebuild, so can we. We're going to do it just like they did. And the prophet says, you watch. They're going to rebuild. He says, but I'm going to pour, pull it down. They're, they're going to plan all these things, but I'm going to destroy them. In fact, they're going to be known as the people of the border of wickedness and the people against whom God hath indignation forever. Now, this is something some of you might remember. How many remember the... Um, uh, the black Israelites. Uh, they used to walk around in white robes all through New York City. And I remember this was almost 30 years ago. I remember running into one of them. And then I found out later how dangerous a situation that was. And uh, he, he began to tell me that I was an Edomite. Because I was red. And that he was true Israel. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. He wasn't Israel. And I'm not of Eden. And he, the, if you want to know who the Jewish people are, go to the land of Israel. They're living there today. If you want to know who the Edomites are, They're the people against whom God's indignation has been forever. I don't believe there's any living person who can claim descent from Esau, uh, nor has there been for hundreds of generations. Uh, They were, as a people, scattered and destroyed. And by the time we get to the life of Jesus, the Edomites were gone. They were erased from the pages of history, just like so many other people groups have been down through the millennia of time. They were absorbed into other groups, and they're gone. And it says that God, He says, you're going to see this. If you want proof that I have loved you, Israel, look around. Look at the city you're living in. Look at the temple in Jerusalem. Look at the fact that I have allowed you back into the land. Now, Israel was removed again from the land in 70 A.D. And I want you to think about this. There is no parallel in the history of this world that a people removed in 70 A.D. from their land still were a people to reclaim that very same land in 1948. That's that's without parallel. There is nothing that you can compare it to. Someone said, well, that would be like giving uh, Manhattan back to the American Indians. 
Uh, no, actually, it would be much more of akin uh, of giving all of America back to uh, the proposed visit of the Egyptians that probably happened somewhere around 2nd or 3rd century before Christ. Uh, they had no claim on this land. But Israel was still there. They lived there. It belongs to them. And God has returned them. And God said, listen, this is my love. This is my love for you, Israel. You know, sometimes God's love is not just a warm, ushy-gushy feeling. Amen? And God still had some things that he wanted to say to them. He said, the Lord shall be magnified from the border of Israel. He said, this is what you're going to say. Now, you know what? I do not know that we have any literature preserved whatsoever from the Edomites. How many of you are familiar with the red city of Petra? That's the land where Esau used to live. That's why Esau apparently was red-haired, and, and the rocks of Edom were red, and so and Edom actually means red, and they lived there, but it was a different people group altogether that built the city of Petra. And now they've disappeared from the pages of history as well. And yet, this book, Malachi's words that were uttered 400 years before Jesus was born, is a Jewish book. Jesus is a Jewish man and the Messiah of the Jewish people. Everything in this book has got a Jewish flavor to it. You see, Jesus told the woman of Samaria, He says, ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship for. Salvation is of the Jews. That was Malachi's prophecy here in verse 6, being verse 5, I'm sorry, being fulfilled. Now, now God is going to move to a completely different part here. He says, a son honoreth his father and a servant his master. If I, if then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear, saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priest, that despise my name? And ye say, wherein have we despised thy name? Ye offer polluted bread upon my altar. And ye say, wherein have we polluted thee? In that ye say, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And if ye offer the blind for a sacrifice, is it not evil? And if ye offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? And now I pray you, beseech God that he will be gracious unto us. This has been by your means. Will he regard your person, saith the Lord of hosts? Who is there even among you that would shut the doors for naught? Neither do ye kindle fire on my altar for naught. I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts, neither will I accept an offering at your hand. 
For from the rising of the sun even unto the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And in every place incense shall be offered unto my name and a pure offering, for my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye have profaned it, in that ye say the table of the Lord is polluted, and the fruit thereof, even his meat, is contemptible. He said also, Behold, what a weariness is it. And ye have snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts. And ye brought that which was torn, and the lame, and the sick. Thus ye brought an offering. Should I accept this of your hand, saith the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver which hath in his flock a male, and voweth and sacrificeth unto the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. Here we have God saying, I loved you. I have loved you. I proved my love by putting you back in your land. And we could even extend that to this present day to see how God has continued to bless those people in spite of the fact that the national religion of the state of Israel, how many people know what it is? Atheism. Look it up in the encyclopedia. They do not, as a state, do not believe in God. There are people there that uh, worship God after a sort, but the temple has yet to be rebuilt. Uh, they are not following the uh, Old Testament practices, let alone the New Testament. But God says, listen, I want you to understand something. And he's going to go through this. And again, I hope you see the pattern that's here. He says, I have loved you. You say, where, where is the proof of your love? He says, you've profaned my name. You've despised my name. I'm sorry, in, in verse 6. And it says, wherein have we despised thy name? You polluted my altar. Where, wherein have we done it? How did we do all of these things? God is charging them of despising the name of the Lord, of polluting the Lord's altar, of profaning the name of the Lord, of saying what a weariness it is to serve the Lord. And God pronounces a curse against those of Israel that would say, I'm going to offer something to God in bringing the leftovers or the torn or, or the sick or the diseased. God says, I'm a, I'm a great king, and I will not allow you to despise my reputation through your behavior. Now, God didn't rescind his love for Israel. But if you do not have boundaries built into love, what is it? It's slavery, is it not? How many times have people fallen? Well, if you really love me, you would. If you really love someone, you will never do something wrong for them. That's not love. 
You see, I can't love another person until I love God first. Amen? When God is first, then I can care about that person. God says, I'm not going to be manipulated by your things that you do. And and he gives the illustration of a father and son. He said, if, if I'm a father and Israel is my son, why don't you honor me as a father? Uh, a master, a, um, a person that has servants, shouldn't they be... Uh, I'm sorry, the page turned here. Um, he says... Where is my fear? Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you have a boss where, where you work? How many of you have ever been just a little bit afraid of your boss? I better get this done or my boss is going to look at me askew. Hadn't that happened? This is what God's talking about here. He said, if I were just simply in charge and you were working for me, wouldn't you at least do what the boss says to do? I mean, what happens when you tell the boss, I'm not going to do what you say. I don't care what you say. Don't you get fired? Or shouldn't you get fired? And, you know, what kind of son would look at his father and say, I don't care what you say. I'm going to do it my way. What kind of relationship, What? how telling would that be of the relationship between a son and father? And God said, but this is the way you treat me. And here's the worst part about it is you don't even, just like you can't comprehend my love, you don't even comprehend your own disobedience. You have no clue what's going on. And and he is going to be repeating that through here. And he's going to explain that they offer a polluted sacrifice. The, the sacrifices that were to be offered on the altar there in the city of Jerusalem were to be only the best. When, when your uh, sheep, uh, you had a, a sheep grow up, a ewe, and... And she uh, gave birth to her first lamb. That lamb was to be offered on the altar. When Passover came, when things were going, you were supposed to offer sacrifices all throughout the year. But you know what they were doing? Well, it's time to go up to Jerusalem, offer a sacrifice. Let me see here. What do I got in my flock here? There's a sick one over there. Once we skin them out, nobody will know the difference. God won't be able to tell. We'll just take the worst one. That was not the way you were to honor God. You see, every lamb that was offered on the altar was a picture of Jesus Christ. God knew that His best would be offered on Calvary And he said, if you're going to honor me the way I'm going to honor you with the sacrifice of my son, you will bring only your best. He said, I want you to stop and think about it. If you were invited to dinner 
at the governor or the mayor, the mayor of the city of Jerusalem would actually be the, the thing. And you were to bring a gift. I mean, even to this day, if you're invited over to someone's house, many times it's customary that you bring something. And uh, would you stop at the fruit stand and go around the corner and, and start picking through the semi-rotten stuff and bring them a basket? I brought you a fruit basket here. If you cut the bad spots out, it's not too bad. Would that be pleasing to you? Or would you think this person was insulting you somehow? Uh, wouldn't they be? And God is saying to Israel, this is what you do. And, and you have no understanding because your priests, the people who have taught you about God, have so lowered God in your minds and in your hearts that you don't even treat God like God anymore. In fact, you don't even treat Him as well as you do other human beings. You have no clue what's going on here. And, and you go through here, and, and it says uh, in verse 9, And now I pray you, beseech God that He will be gracious unto us. So they were bringing these inferior against the law, and by the way, it was clearly spelled out in the law of God what was acceptable as a sacrifice and what was not. And they were completely just blowing that away, not paying any attention to that at all, and then saying, God, why aren't you blessing us like you did in times past? Why aren't you bestowing your great blessings when their worship was an insult to God? You know, this is why we, we want to be very careful that we don't go to the world and try to bring something into the church from the world to please God. We don't want to do that. That's why we have to be careful about music. That's why we have to be careful about different things that we do. Uh, there is no evil in the video projector. In fact, it's quite better than the flannel graph used to be, if you remember, some of you remember that. Uh, been around long enough. It helps illustrate the message. Yet, there are many churches today that will play uh, movies and old television shows and, and things. That say, they have a Sunday school curriculum built on Andy Griffith's show because they were such good people in Mayberry. I'm serious. Churches get together and they watch episodes of the Andy Griffith show and they try to teach Bible things. I'll tell you what, that is offering a corrupt sacrifice. They go to the world. They get the world's music. And I listen to their arguments. They say, listen, we'll get more people in here on Sunday morning if you would only listen. If you want to fill your auditorium up, all you got to do is get a good rock band and people will come. Well, you know what the problem is? I know a church. I could give you the name and address. They followed that philosophy and one Sunday, 500 people left that church and went to a different church across town. 
And you know what the answer was? The reason was? They had better music over there. You see, their band wasn't worldly enough. Excuse me, that argument, that kind of reasoning has no place in the church. No place whatsoever. That's what was going on in the book of Malachi. It's still going on today. And what we have to understand is that when we get to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's going to be as foreign to the regular person walking down the street as a language from another country. It's not today that most people understand who God is and what they ought to do to please Him. People don't understand anything about God. They don't understand that God's love requires things. That God's love to us demands some things from us. Otherwise, we are insulting and demeaning God's love. You know what? That kind of preaching gets you in a lot of trouble in some circles. All you do is preach doom and gloom and judgment. No. I want you to get past the doom and gloom and judgment because God's love is there, my friend. It has never changed. It has never diminished. But God's love won't let you stay the way you are. It's going to change you. God does not want you paying for His love by what you do. That would demean His love, wouldn't it? That would, that would make it worthless. But God wants us to respect Him as God. It says here, he was talking to the Jewish people. He says, my name is going to be great among the heathen. And we live in a day and time where the average Jewish person knows so little about this book or anything in it. Oh, maybe they can name the names and maybe they have the right last name, and they can, but they don't know anything. Say, well, we worked so hard to, to be helpful and be kind to others. Wait a minute. That's not what God wants. What did David say the sacrifices that God would accept were? A broken and contrite spirit. It says, when we understand that it's nothing we can do to make ourselves pleasing to God. And even in a modern church, there are people that say, three services a week? Isn't that a little much? Look what it says here. But ye have profaned it in that ye say the, Lord, the table of the Lord is polluted and the fruit thereof, even his meat, is contemptible. When you look down, Jason, turn around here. Thank you. 
When you look down upon the blessings of the Lord, when you esteem the things that He promises as little in your sight, most people would rather have a big bank account than a truly real relationship with the God of heaven. Most people would rather have a good job and quote-unquote security as far as the future is concerned. Can I ask you a question? Is there anything that is secure in this day and time? Maybe working for the IRS. But once they get it all, there's not going to be any jobs left even for them. I mean, that's what happens. If you want a future that's secure, it's got to be in your faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? That's the only security that you can have. And people say, oh, but you don't understand. There's too many rules and regulations in this Bible. There's t- Nobody can do everything that's in the Bible. Well, can you show me a verse where God expects you to be perfect? But He does expect you not to use the Bible and His perfection as an excuse not to give your heart completely to Him. Can we say amen to that? That's the message of Malachi. That's why God pronounces a curse at the end of this chapter. And he says, I am pronouncing a curse. I am pronouncing my eternal judgment upon that person which would say that they're worshiping me. And they're giving me the leftovers. He says, I don't des-, he said, I am a great God. I don't deserve leftovers. I don't deserve a tip at the end of the day. I don't deserve a five minute prayer at the end of the day before you fall asleep saying, Dear God, please help me. We we need to take a to learn from Malachi. Those attitudes that were there are here. Today, they're in places that we call church. They're among people who would hold up a Bible and say, I believe this book is God's Word. And as we go through the rest of the book here, we got to understand that God's judgment is pronounced first against the priest, against those who were supposed to teach Malachi was not a priest. In fact, we don't even know his family. We do not know his credentials. You know why? Because he probably didn't have any. He was just an ordinary man that God gave a message to. Unlike Jeremiah and Isaiah, unlike many of the other great prophets that are in the Bible we, we have no idea where Malachi come from. We don't know what tribe he was, what family he was. We don't know really anything about him. He doesn't give us any history at all. But he was a man that God picked up and said, you're going to take my word. And he starts by saying, this word's going to be a burden. It's not a burden to me. But when I give it to you, you're not going to understand it. 
You're not going to even understand the fact that God loves you. You're not going to even begin to comprehend how offensive your behavior is to the God of Israel. And how deeply you insult Him by what you call worship. And yet expect Him to pour out His blessings upon you. Now, He's going to tell us how to get right before the end of the book. But... Right here in the middle, verse 11 will be done. It says, From the rising of the sun even to the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles, and in every place incense shall be offered unto my name, and a pure offering, for my name shall be great among the heathen. You know, we have Paul explaining this further in the book of Romans. He said, The natural branches of the tree were cut off because they did not have faith in God. Talking about the Jewish people leaving their faith in God and instead uh, embracing their own traditions. But what he said was, from the rising sun to the going down thereof all over the earth, There's going to be incense offered in my name. That's talking about prayer, my friend. Not burning the funny little sticks or the powders, whatever. It's talking about prayer. And he said, those people are going to offer a pure offering. You see, God is always looking for people who will simply honor Him for who He is. You know what? There's not a problem you would face that would seem a problem at all if you only understood enough about God to realize that He's bigger than the problem. Amen? That His love is there even when it doesn't feel like His love is there. That His grace is greater than our sin, than our ability to understand And if we'll let him, what's it say? We love him because he first loved us. And all God's people said. Heavenly Father, we come before you this night. Lord, we ask as we go through the book of Malachi, there's going to be much that is difficult. There's going to be much that is sad. And Lord, some of it even frightful as God's judgment and a curse is pronounced. Yet, Lord, we ask that you would help us to see past that and understand that your love is still there and that you desire to be worshipped by anyone who will do it in spirit and in truth. We ask you to work in our hearts that our worship may be acceptable to you. Lord, that we would guard in our minds and in our souls against anything that would be worldly coming into our worship. Anything that would be less than your greatness and your goodness deserves. Help us, Lord. 
In Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, we'll just keep our heads bowed. We'll have the piano play if you need to slip out of your seat.